Welcome everyone to uh, Coherence uh, Talks Podcast 16. Uh, I'm Jorge, your host uh, as always, and today we have with us... Uh, hi, I'm George. I'm co-founder and CEO of TechBeat.io. Hello, I'm Mash. I'm the co-founder of Coherence. Hello, uh, I'm Ruth and I'm the office manager from Barcelona office at Coherence. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, learning. So I'm going to start with the easy question, or hopefully. <laughs> we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> and why are you interested in learning? So let's gonna start with you, George. With me? <laughs> um, before I start, I want to ask, what do you mean by learning specifically in software engineering or learning in general? Um, well, is there a difference between both of them? Well, sure. I mean, the subject is different. It, it's, one is more broad. But um, I can say in general when, when, I, when I got interested. Um, I think for me it started um, maybe four or five years ago mm -hmm. uh, when I was about to undergo a career transition. Um, so I was working at a design agency. Um, I was um, doing a bit of design. I was doing a bit of coding. But I wasn't sure what the next step was. It was very unclear for me. And um, being in that kind of period, I think the first thing that jumped to mind was to do a master's degree and spend um, tens of thousands of dollars uh, in, in the US to do that. Um, and I almost did it, um, but then I realized this is not going to answer any of my questions. Um, and so what I did was I took a year out where I went to people that I really admired their work and I and I spent three to six months with them just learning from them and this is kind of when I first for me at least saw the how, how it's important to understand what it is you want to achieve and then kind of figure out the steps to do that um, and that's kind of when I first got introduced into the world of learning then um, I created my first startup in, in the space which was around mentoring and now I have um, the second startup but that was for me the event that kind of triggered that this this exploration so I'll, I'll answer it from a general point of view um, I think I know now that learning happened to me rather than me having a specific idea about how to learn um, I actually became aware that learning is something that you should be thinking about and you should you should have a uh, you should be deliberate about it is is quite recently in fact when I had my first apprentice um, and it took quite a long time to uh, get them up to speed in fact it took over two years and and then when I had the chance of having to as my second apprentice I thought to myself okay I'll I'll give her a much better chance by first me understanding how it is that I should mentor and teach and that's when I start I became more aware of of what learning is and that was so for me kind of having that teaching was the best way of actually understanding that learning is a deliberate thing up until then it was something that happened to me more by accident I was lucky in cases and also I had just accidentally had a had a good attitude towards it okay um, Ruth as you have decided to join this podcast today <laughs> Uh, <laughs> anything that interests you about learning? Well, why you wanted to 
Hmm, good question, because in my case, I was always on my comf comfort zone uh, from most of the times, uh, on my jobs, on my hobbies, with my mates. And once a time, many years ago, I have decided to move outside this box and outside this uh, comfort zone and start trying to understand how people make decisions, big decisions, and how they take care of the decision both uh, on, on the people uh, involved on that decisions. So I wanted to understand how management works because I was quite tired about being an accountant uh, for many years. And I was uh, the time when I was just jumping onto the office management, workplace assistance, and so on. And that was the time I have decided to learn how, how management is and how uh, a workplace can be a better place to work. <laughs> um, and that's why my challenge, that uh, was my challenge in, in the sense try to understand things I don't understand to then uh, be able to help others and teach others and mentor others as well. Okay. Uh, so a couple of things that you, both of you, my son Ruth, mentioned is about uh, teaching and mentoring. Uh, but why, why is it important for you to understand learning as a concept? to that. Who is that? Just a math. Okay. So, all right. Uh, wh why is important? Um, the reason it's important is that, um, you know, in order to do anything well, you would first, you would know that you enter into that thing as a beginner and you know that you won't do well. You will just learn, right? And mm -hmm. at some point you will become proficient and then you will do it well. So that is with a, any skill. And learning itself is actually a skill. So you can just stumble through it and not think of it as a skill. You will, of course, build a, a kind of skill mm -hmm. uh, and it will happen as you go along through experience, but it's not deliberate. And so it's important that you learn how to learn because that way you build the skill in a much better way. You are more aware of how you learn and you get better at learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want to add anything over there, Ruth? Oh, no, I completely agree. Uh, the more you know yourself uh, out of this box and the more you challenge yourself to try to learn something um, or try to uh, yeah, to take the, the path that um, Mash is uh, saying, uh, the better. I mean, I'm, I completely agree. Hmm. It's important to, to know how to learn. So George, you have uh, so you are on your second startup, all revolving uh, around learning, and both of them. Uh, I mean, take a, take a bit, I know, take a bit is geared towards uh, software engineers. Yeah. And yep. The previous one was as well, or no, it wasn't. Um, so so the previous one arose from the story I, I shared, which was my personal story, which was. Mm you know, what, what should I be doing with my career? And my yeah. solution for, for my problem at the time was to just be next to people that I kind of admired, right? Mm. And then seek them out. And so I, I thought, wow, these people were incredibly generous with their time. Um, there must be more like them in the world and there must be more people like me in the world. Um, and so I was trying to solve the, the problem of kind of how do you navigate and understand what it is you want from your career 
mm-hmm. and then kind of you know through, through other means and other tools uh, go out there and, and, and do it um, and it failed miserably <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was uh, it was it was fun but it was also it was not a, fun it was a good learning it was experience. it was a good learning experience <laughs> yeah indeed it was um, I mean I think it was it was very idealistic uh, and what ended up happening was because it, it had to make money, it was then kind of sold as a as a platform to businesses. Yeah. Right? And so, uh, company HR uh, managers would buy licenses for their high potential employees. Yeah. And those high potentials would be connected to external, usually executives in other firms, mm-hmm. so that they could develop their careers. Um, one thing I found, I, I say it was hard because it was kind of. Uh, disappointing for me at least for my personal aspirations was because i would see people going in there and kind of tackling what i what i thought at the time to be very small and minute issues so things like oh you know i have a bad relationship with my manager how do i solve that or you know there's politics and internal stakeholders how do i manage that and really what i what the problem was for me and what the problem that i was really interested in very passionate about was you know some, some kind of bigger questions you know should i be doing this or should i not be doing this um, and, and, and of course, the reason it failed, of course, wasn't because it wasn't tackling that problem. It was because, um, it was catering to a specific niche of companies. It was fast growing companies who had a lot of young people with not, with not enough experience and without enough experience within the company. So they had to buy licenses from outside to get connected to those more experienced people and therefore kind of upskill that people in those ways, and usually around management issues. Um, but there aren't a billion scale ups, you know. Uh, we sold to US, UK, and France, but you know, at some point growth sold. There weren't any renewals, and, and that that kind of stopped. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was a it, it, it was a it was a very interesting experience, um, and seeing how you know my my ambitions were not the same as the market, mm-hmm. uh, what the market wanted, um, yeah. And I think, anyway, I can go into the, the same company in a bit, but that was kind of my experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <First one. laughs> what, why the second one then is geared towards developers? Yeah, that's, so again, it comes from a personal story. Um, so I'm, I, I've done mostly front-end and I do mostly front-end stuff. Um, the reason is I, I really like being very close to the user. Um, I, I really enjoy kind of understanding what, what they want to achieve and kind of helping them do that. And I think front-end... Um, is closer to the user than, than other things you could be doing. Um, and, and in any case, in, in front end you have a thing, a new layout, which was created in CSS, which is called Flexbox. I don't know. No, I haven't. It's okay, it's horrible. <laughs> 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 anyway, I, I, wanted, I had to learn that, and I was like, oh, you know, shit, I have to learn this. And I, and I was, and all CSS is very annoying. It can be very annoying. I don't know how much experience you have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ruth, I don't know how much experience you have with CSS. <laughs> um, but, um, but I think at, at its core, CSS is a pattern recognition skill. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have a lot of, I mean, it has rules, but they kind of don't make sense. It's, it's very difficult to create a mental model. Um, and so with Flexbox, it's kind of more about memorization rather than um, kind of understanding what the mental model behind it is. And so I was reading tutorials, and I was watching a few videos, and I was doing a few practice things, and I just, it just couldn't, um, I, I just, it just did, didn't stick. Um, and I had a friend at the time who was reading a lot of scientific literature on learning. And he shared, I bet, and he told me, I bet I can create a small prototype for you, which will teach you 
Flexbox based on a few research papers that I that I read. I like, okay, whatever. Um, and he, he gave me a crappy piece of software um, and I spent like two hours on it. Um, and at the end, I could do Flexbox. I was like, this is cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like this is, I wasn't, I was not expecting, you know, to learn Flexbox and kind of not know, like it was very, a very painstaking experience with, you know, tutorials and, and that stuff. Um, and I said, okay, maybe it could be applied to other technologies. And so uh, that's kind of the, the what, it's ta- what, it's, what this company is doing. It's taking um, uh, our current understanding of how learning science works and kind of applying it really to, 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 to the domain of software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it could be applied to multiple domains, I think it's, a, it's, it's one where people really enjoy learning um, and they really have to learn. More so than say law or, or accounting, where it changes less uh, fast. But I could go on and on. But we, we, yeah, in a bit. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you you have talked before about uh, learning to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there? I uh, suppose the answer would be yes, but of course there's gonna uh, we'll expand about that. Are there different types of learning? Mm-hmm. No, I'm asking you, are there different types of learning? I mean, uh, well, are there different types of learning? Um, yeah. That's a, that's a very good question. Um, it, it depends on how, what, what you, how you categorize. Um, at the most basic level, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think we have, at the most basic level, you, you start with a motivation and, and then you... The way I see it is, is kind of three stages. You, you have a motivation, mm-hmm. and so you need to get that right. You need to be motivated to learn. Yeah. How you motivate yourself, there are many ways. Um, then you, have, you build a mindset for learning. So, mm-hmm. so that there is, in order to create a good mindset for learning, there are a lot of things that you can look at. You can look at philosophy, you can look at science. But effectively, it's about having an open mind um, in Zen, actually, I think, um, if I'm not sure, they call it the beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have that beginner's mind if you want to learn something new. You almost have to unlearn to learn. Um, so, and that's part of the mindset. There are other aspects to it as well. And then there is the practice of learning. And there are many ways. And I think one of the things you talk about is the different practices to learn. Mm-hmm. You can learn through reading. You can learn through applying, you can learn through a game, you can learn through play, you can learn through immersion in, in a certain environment, uh, and you can combine all of them in different ways to learn. But those are the practices of learn, and you have to shape the learning according to um, the way that you like to learn, according to the way that actually enforces your mindset and further enforces your motivation. So to me, that is the basics of learning, doesn't matter what you learn. I'm, I'm thinking about this uh, linguistics professor that I read once about. One of the, I think there were only like six or seven people in the world that could read, uh, speak ancient Chinese. And the way that he used to learn a new language, I mean, he, he actually knew like a massive amount of them. It was get a, a book, grammar, uh, a book about the grammar of the language, read it uh, front to back, and and then start practicing, which is something I, I've never been able to to, to to start to accomplish. So that that was his main style of learning 
interesting language for you which is your main I, I, so on, uh, my, practice my, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is why I said that you know le that learning and what I said about motivation mindset mm. and practice and you're talking about practice it's uh, it's actually it's you know you are part of that context so the thing you need to learn mm. and what kind of person you are creates the context right and so that's why it's different for for everybody I think for me yeah, it depends on what, what I'm learning so ide ideally I like to I like to jump in before I want to know more right mm -hmm. so theory for me is all well and good but for me I need to ground it in practice and even before I go through too much of the theory in order for it to really stick I need to have some kind of feel for it mm -hmm. in fact uh, in the book I think it's in the book mastery um, that they, he, uh, I think it's Robert Greene, he describes um, a scenario where he, he basically, it's about, it's a rock climbing instructor. Mm -hmm. And he's, he basically puts the harnesses on these absolute beginners. And he puts the harnesses on them and he says to them, there's the wall, go climb. <laughs> and everyone's kind of thinking, you know, how, like, teach us something first, like how to do it. They said, just go and just climb, see what you can do. So they kind of struggle for about half an hour and he gets them together and he said, you know, you had to immerse yourself in the environment before I can start t telling you anything. Because I can be telling you stuff and if, they, if other aspects of your perceptions are not engaged, then it's an abstract thought, it will not stick. But now that you, you could feel it, you could see it, you could, you know, you struggled against it, now what I'm gonna say to you is gonna go in better and you're gonna be more interested. So that's kind of my view, that that's how I learn, mm -hmm. I think it's different for people. I like to, for a language, for example, programming language, I just jump in and I do a few examples, I like to write a little app in it, and then I go and I start reading the books. I would read a book to get me started, like quick start tutorials and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. J just to jump in. Uh, so I, 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 agree, I completely agree with you. I completely disagree with the example you gave <laughs> of, of, the, of reading the, the Chinese dude who read yeah. the book front to back and back to forth. Uh, <laughs> um, no, really. I mean, so... No, the, the reason I say this is because the, the, we are taught through school that, you know, the way to learn is you first learn all the rules and the mm -hmm. formal kind of stuff, and then you go and apply it, right? And this is, you know, the way we, we've done it, you know, at least for a century since modern schooling has been around. Yeah. Um, but the question is, is it, is it the right way? What, what if, and in your example is, what if you inverse it, right? Yeah. What if you first ask to apply something that you haven't learned and then create the formal rules, yeah. right? And so in, in the example that you gave from, from mastery, that, that it's in rock climbing, but I, you would, perhaps you'd be surprised to learn that it's, it's actually scientific literature, which goes into this specific oh. topic, right? Oh, okay. And there's this fantastic guy from ETH um, in, in Zurich called Manu Kapoor, who's, who's, whose whose whole thesis is, look, we all say we learn through failure, right? Has anyone studied you know, how we learn through failure, if, or if we do indeed, or is this total bullshit? So, sorry, it's an adult audience, I think. <laughs> At least in age, I don't know about mental age. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can bleep it. Um, 
Um, and so he, 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 he studies this, right? And he did a, a he, he posted a, a great paper the other day, and the story is as follows. He went to a classroom, or a, a, math, a math class, and they were trying to teach standard deviation, the concept of standard deviation. So these kids had never seen what this, what this concept is, right? And he took class and he taught it as it's normally done. So you, you give them the formula, you give them the definition, and you kind of ask them to apply that. And then he, he, he went to a second class uh, where he did something very different. He gave them a table of football players, and their scores, and he mm -hmm. said, which one is the most consistent player in terms of scores, mm -hmm. right? And, and the concept of standard deviation, that's what it does. It tells you it's, it's, a, it's, it's a thing of consistency, right? Mm -hmm. And so he, he told them, you have days, you know, you have days to figure this out, you have to solve this problem, this is the problem you have to solve. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then they came back and, and, and he said, do you want to learn the solution now? And they had tried all sorts of different ways to answer this problem. And, and, and they said, yes, of course, and then, he explained the solution to them, and then um, and then they, they they gave them tests, right? And then they compared the control group to that to that second group. Now, what they found was very interesting. First, they were more engaged, mm -hmm. like it's because they had suffered to solve this, exactly. this freaking problem. Uh, the second is they they could they had the same they could solve the formulas in more or less the same way, mm -hmm. but they could transfer that knowledge to other problems. So not just about football players, but to other problems in the world, much better, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and also they retain that information better in the in, in kind of uh, testing after a week, two weeks and a, and a month, mm -hmm. right? And so he's rolling out that program throughout Southeast Asia right now. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole concept is let's stop being taught uh, mm -hmm. the way we have. Let's first be in that context and try to solve a problem and then you'll be given the explanation rather than the other way around. Yeah. Uh, it, it totally makes sense though because, I mean, if you think about it, learning is, is actually part of our survival right so yes. when we when yeah. we grow when we are born we start learning right and yeah. in fact in you know okay the modern life is is much easier but you know historically and ancient humans and so on they you know it your survival depended on your ability to interact be social you know do whatever you needed to do as part of your environment and there were no structures or books. And even for children now, you know, learning to walk is not, there's not like, you know, they don't kind of, there's not a formal way of teaching your child mm -hmm. child to walk. You just push them. Right? <laughs> you know, they just, just push yeah. them. You yeah. just, yeah, yeah, you just push them. Yeah. But, you know, they kind of, they see others and they say, oh, I want to do that. And they kind of like try to get up and crawl and at some point start like putting one foot in front of the other and fall in, on their faces and... And you know, after a while, they can walk, and they end up being pretty good yeah. walkers, right? <laughs> and some, I, some of us, some, some, not some, me. But, <laughs> but I, I think I think we are in. It's ingrained in us, right? right? This kind of trial, fail, struggle, That's learn, and it actually kind of motivates us, keeps us going in a way. Right? That's very true. Yeah. It's not to say that formal things don't have their place, I, but, but it's just a place, they're, they're very useful in creating mental models mm -hmm. post having that yeah, context yeah. and experience. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But we don't do it. <laughs> mm -mm. Uh, Ruth, which one is your favorite way of learning? My favorite one is to soak around everything. Now, yeah. Uh, seriously, I'm, I'm, um, I grew up uh, surrounded by people because my fathers were the owners of a kind of famous playful bar in Barcelona, the Board Games Bar. And I have uh, two older uh, brothers 
older than me. And I was surrounded by people in every year of my life. So um, I think I wanted to believe or I want to, yeah, I want to believe that my way was created uh, above uh, this uh, baseline, about uh, always being surrounded by people and trying to learn and see and soak around everyone and diving among them and just soaking, soaking something and, absor- and absorbing ideas, ways to act, attitudes, uh, how to talk, um, I don't know, how to treat others, how people uh, act when uh, when they are under pressure or not, or when they are shy or not. And that was my way until I was uh, more older. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite way is that that's one. Uh, to listen a lot, to see how people interact between themselves, um, even if I'm, if I'm not chiming in on the conversation, just seeing and listen, and and try to absorb uh, anything. That's my because then I took my time. That's, that uh, those are the lines I was writing on the on the list of the podcast mm-hmm. because this is one of the ways you have to um, after to. Uh, absorb information you have to allow yourself to uh, leave empty space so release space to allow uh, new knowledge and new things and new ways of learning or or new knowledge itself to uh, fit in your brain to to become part of you and I think this is important also for this way my way to soak in everything then to uh, have a time alone to understand what I'm, what I am learning, and why, and, on the, and how can I apply the learnings, and how can I teach others or mentor or so on. Yep, that's my my favorite way. Couple couple of things that I want to to talk about here. You have talked about observation, mm-hmm. uh, and now that's uh, one thing that when I go dancing, uh, I learn to uh, to dance. That's one of the things that I do a lot. I'm looking at other people, the people I think are mm. better dancers than me, uh, see how they dance, evaluate them, and then start adding that mm. into the way I dance. But I think that's the only case because nearly it, any other type of learning that I do, I like to be on my own. I don't, not even mm-hmm. observing other people, I like to get just on my own, center on whatever. I, I do a lot of learning the, the rules before I try to do anything. I, I don't like the, the idea of being, uh, kind of, how is it called, uh, sitting in, uh, in the dark. Uh, I, uh, I never care about, uh, how can I say, I have never, when I'm reading rules or anything like that, I never try to understand them the first time around. I just read them. Hmm. Then hmm. I exercise and then I read them again. Mm-hmm. And then that second time, everything makes sense. Hmm. Everything that I have read before. The, the, the only thing is that because I have read them before, they are kind of <laughs> on the back of my mind mm-hmm. when I'm mm-hmm. doing something. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they, they, they just start kind of popping out. And I say, oh, this is the rule, the, the rule that he was talking about over there, or the rule that mm-hmm. was over there is, is because of this or, or, or that. And that's how it's been applied. Um, okay, so in terms of types of learning, so 
for TechBeat, you use the same idea that you, your colleague created. Yeah, that's that's correct. In terms of learning flex, uh, like so. Uh, so it, it is uh, to, to to give uh, to give us an idea. It's, it's kind of similar to what Duolingo does, for example. You could say yeah, similar to Duolingo. Yeah. The, the basic principle is that you're, you're first exposed to a problem, mm -hmm. then you're given the explanation of why you solved that problem correct or, or wrong, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know, I mean, most people would be, I, I guess you are most familiar with katas, for example, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Katas like big problems, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what happens if you break a kata into very, very, very small chunks and you get instant feedback? So, so uh, oh, I see. It depends on what you mean by big because mm -hmm. Kata is actually already a very cut down problem. Hmm. The it's it's in fact the I mean kata is in comes as you know it comes from the, the karate or, or yeah. one of the martial yeah. arts anyway, and it's about re re repetition. So in order to repeat, you need to have a very small thing. Um, so in, in katas, usually it's kind of two to three hours. Hmm. You know. Versus, if you're writing software, it could take years, right? So, so it it is about repeating, uh, and and uh, so with repeating, you learn a skill. So the, the idea is that you know the more when you repeat over and over again, uh, it becomes almost muscle memory mm -hmm. that it becomes innate, and so so you do it without thinking even. Uh, so the the idea is that certain practices are skills uh, where you need to free your mind to think about other aspects of the 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 problem while you you're you're doing so for example touch typing is is one of them mm -hmm. we prefer our people to to be able to touch type because not that we want people to type fast mm -hmm. we want them to actually not even think about typing but think about the problem that's so, very so that's yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. No, so the current product, what, what we're currently serving, is mostly around that memory, mm -hmm. that muscle memory, developing yeah. that muscle memory, whether it would be for for a new language, for a new framework, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We're not dealing with though. I think it would be interesting, but we haven't explored it yet. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the more broader, how do you solve a problem, right? Mm -hmm. How do you create the right pattern recognition for solving bigger problems? Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, I've got an just to, just to finish Sorry, this. Go, go. Um, uh, and you said, yeah, cut it can be kind of three hours. Imagine breaking that down mm -hmm. to thirty seconds. Yeah, not solving the entire cut in thirty seconds, but like chunks of thirty seconds. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of what Duolingo does, for example, in the concept of yeah. a language, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think it might be interesting for you to look at um, cones. So uh, the, the, each language, uh, they came from Ruby, I think. Um, each language has this, uh, people have built this thing called the corns, okay. right? So corns are kind of small verses of kind of poetic okay. type. Uh, again, coming from Japan, I think, the Japanese culture. Uh, but what, what they do is in order to teach you a language, what they do is it's a, it's a bunch of tests, kind of, formed in 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 uh, terms of question but the question yeah. is all reads almost like prose or, or kind of poetry okay. even and the you've kind of add the the learn the point of the learning is a bit that's left blank and you you add that point and and then then it moves on to the next cone and it's quite similar mm. to duolingo as well 
but he's teaching you the language. And in fact, um, because I don't actually get to code a lot, mm. for me to keep my skills up to date, I, I try to do katas sometimes, but actually more often I do the cones. I just go through the language syntax. That's very good, okay. Because one thing you don't forget is how to solve problems. Yeah. What you do forget is syntax quite a lot. Right, and so just to keep going through the syntax, I I, I end up doing cones. Uh, but that that aside, I have an interesting um, experience with Duolingo. Okay. So I was trying to learn Spanish. I'm still trying. To Me learn too. Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying. <laughs> too many things to do. But um, I I actually started using Duolingo, and I think it was I was getting somewhere. Um, but I thought, okay, let, let me see if there are there any other techniques. And some, uh, what I think I was speaking to Jack from from the Barcelona office, and mm. he said when he learned Spanish, he followed. Um, maybe he actually recommended this this audio book as well. Mm. And I said, how can you learn through an audio book? Because you know, Duolingo is interactive, mm. and as I said, it kind of builds that muscle memory and so on. And he said he learned through this audio book. So I, I went to the audio book and. It has a very different take on learning and, and what it did was it used what you already know hmm. as the basis for, for, for Spanish. So it's for English speakers and the first thing it does is give you is some fo basic formulas on how to turn English words or English vocabulary into Spanish vocabulary. Oh, okay. And so suddenly you have lots of words at your disposal. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts teaching that's you clever. on how to string them together. I thought that's amazing. That's, that's very but, but I, I did think it work? It, it did, it did. But <laughs> I, I think I, I got more confident with that than with Duolingo. Duolingo, I felt that it was requiring maybe more effort to get started. And this one was less. But I think this is, again, I, I think learning different aspects. You, you need to explore different ways mm. and sometimes one fits better than the other. Perhaps, I'm not sure. So I have, I have, I have a few, a, a bit of beef with Duolingo. So I, I, I think, <laughs> no, I mean, if you, going back to this thing you mentioned around context, right? Yeah. Does Duolingo create that context? And the no. answer is no, it no, doesn't, really. right? You're, you, when, when, when you go into the chapter restaurant, you're not in a restaurant, you don't have a waiter and you're not stressed about ordering your food or your drink. Yeah. You just have to, you know, tap, right? Yeah. Um, so it's very, I think Duolingo is a very good, in the context of language learning, it's very good to memorize kind of words, but is it the, mo the optimal way to learn? If Probably you need not. that context? Probably not, right? No. The, the optimal way, at least for me, I, I don't speak Spanish. Duolingo hasn't succeeded. No, no, same <laughs> error, same error. <laughs> but, but I did learn French at the age of um, 21, right? And the way I did was I went to France and I, and I, and I lived there for three years, right? So, yeah. um, but what is interesting about software engineering is, look, you know, you don't have to be out about in the world to no. do software engineering. You just have, you're in front it's of your virtual, computer, It's right? always a virtual <laughs> environment, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Um, but what I find interesting also, yeah, around the techniques that you mentioned, right? So I'm going to check out corn. There's another K with a K, K or with a C. K O A N. K O A N. Oh, K O K O N. Corn. Corn. Yeah. Uh, I may not be pronouncing it right at all. Oh, right. Yeah, you Japanese. you mean uh, you said uh, Mash, It was a Japanese technique. Yeah, yeah. Corn. K O A N. Yeah, because the corn corn is oh. uh, your biggest question on the life. 
on your life. Oh, okay. When you go to your master, yeah, because I was reading about Koan. Uh, your Koan is your biggest, biggest, biggest issue and question uh, related to your overall life. So you go to your master and hey, and your master told, your master uh, says to you, what is your Koan? I see. Apprentice. Yeah. And yeah. you have to work and to, uh, yeah, you have to, uh, I call this, you say in English, um, you have to work uh, upon this, uh, this topic, your Koan, your whole life. Oh, I see. So you have to frame the right question. You have to, like, you know, in the, like the Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy, you know, the, the, you know, what is the question? What is your question? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a difficult question. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, okay, let, let, me, let me go with something that you have uh, talked, uh, you have mentioned about uh, the most optimal, optimal way uh, of learning that in this case where you think it is not, probably it's not. So, how we can find that optimal way? What, what, what will be, is it going to be the same for, for everyone? Or is it going to be different? Uh, I mean, as you say, the Jack found this other way of doing uh, uh, learning Spanish with uh, this audiobook. Uh, I, I, I know that there is uh, no. uh, this famous uh, saying, 99% uh, uh, effort, I'll, I'll learn it, 99% effort, 1% talent for, for learning, okay? Yeah, okay. But, but it, it is that correct, and it is, the, it is, is it just effort? Or is more than just effort, or, or is the, just having effort is not an office, maybe it is having the appropriate way. I, I can answer that. So, so the first question, the answer is like, of course, you know, it's not accurate. Uh, all statistics are lies, or 100% of the statistics are lies. But anyway, um, it's, I'll tell you my view on this is that talent will can help you succeed uh lack of effort will definitely mm. make you fail whether you have talent or not and my view is that yes talent can help for sure but it is not the the key ingredient effort is the key ingredient so i don't know if it's 99 percent or not but effort is the key to learning yeah perhaps <laughs> no, so so i i think the the phrase 91 99 percent effort Effort one percent talent is a is a, is a is a phrase which is kind of Edison, I think. Uh, oh, okay. But it doesn't matter. So there was a, there was a guy called Erickson who was a who was a researcher, right? And he said, mm. "Is this true? Right? Mm. Is it is it true that it's that it's all about you know effort and it's not about talent, right?" Mm. And he and he and he and he did a series of studies, I think, in the nineties, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't take my word on it. Um, and he, 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 he said, yeah, actually, you know what? It, it is all about effort and talent doesn't matter at all, mm -hmm. right? And, and so for a very long time, and, and this is, makes a very nice story because, oh, you know, course, everyone can succeed, you know, yeah, everywhere, yeah, exactly. there's opportunity everywhere. But um, it, it turns out that it's not actually totally true. So, 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 so more recently, they kind of went to those research papers and look at that research method and they started questioning that and saying, is that actually true? Is it just about the effort? And, you know, it's not. Like if you're smart, you're gonna perform better, 
right? Mm -hmm. If you take somebody who, and, and it makes sense, if you take somebody who has a high IQ and he or she does the same effort as somebody who has a lower IQ, well, guess what? You know, yeah, yeah. So, so that, no, that, that's exactly what I meant, is that talent will get you on the way and probably give you the leg yeah. up, yes. right? Yeah. But yeah. even if you have talent, but you don't put in the effort, that's you true. will not work. That's you very not true. Work. Yeah. So of the two, like, that's what I mean is that, you know, if you look at kind of, if you had to pick one, the ingredient that will make you, make you fail is if you don't put the effort in. If you just rely on talent, you will never get anywhere. But if you don't have the talent, but still put the effort in, of course, you will not get as, as far as someone with talent and the same kind of effort but you will get somewhere. That, and just to finish on this, and, and that's absolutely true. And so if you want to become a world athlete, like, you know, Olympic uh, medalist, you know, if you don't have talent, you're screwed. Like, yeah. you're, you're, but if you're in a domain where, you know, it's not just one person that wins, then, you know, you can do it. Like, yeah, exactly. that, that's true. That's... But, you know, pick your domain for it. <laughs> okay, so one thing uh, with this, uh, I, I want to, uh, to ask you then. Uh, have you read uh, Aulius? Malcolm, uh, Malcolm, double, double, double. What's his name? Um, let me let me get the link over to Malcolm Gladwell. Outliers. 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 Sorry. Yes. Outliers. Yeah. Give yeah, us a synopsis. Yeah. Have you? No. Read the book? No. I okay. haven't. So uh, on this book, one of the things that, that he talks uh, is about the. Well, it is quite, quite extensive in terms of how people get to the top of their profession. And one of the things that he talks is that, uh, uh, and he does put quite a lot of uh, importance into, basically it's into effort. Mm. Uh, he has the, the 10,000 hour rule comes from, uh, mm -hmm. from, from this book, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. and, and it's that when you start looking at um, every single person that, has, that is at the top, he has been practicing for, for a very long time. And one of the important things that he mentions, which we confuse at very young ages, talent with advantages because of age. So when you're a kid, the difference between a person of 22 and 25 years is not really that much mm -hmm. in, any, in any regard. But when you're a kid, half a year difference makes a massive uh, 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 massive difference in, in terms of your uh, physical and mental yeah. attitude, mm -hmm. which means that people are confusing uh, 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 that difference, which is comes only through age, with talent. I was putting a, a sample of, uh, for example, uh, uh, I think it was on, 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 on ice hockey. Nearly all the better players were uh, were born on the four or five uh, initial months of what it is the cut of year so when you go from one mm. uh, being considered uh, being born in a year for uh, for for league purposes mm -hmm. okay so nearly every single one of them are during those four four initial months because they have the advantage, natural advantages that of age, and um, trainers start using them more, practicing with them more, and at the end, the difference is that by the time that you reach adult age, they have practiced far more than a person that has been towards the end of the year, which is, means that we, we say talent 
but it is uh, it's just that the, the skill hasn't hasn't been developed. The, 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 the same way that, uh, for example, like my, my social skills are not great because I have never, as a kid, been around other people. I never, never wanted to have my close uh, uh, group of friends, and that was it. I never, I never developed the, the social skills. Therefore, right now, I'm, my social skills are running. So, no, don't say that. So, 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 Far more than the other one. Mm -hmm. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I mean, my, my my take on this, you know, reading mm. purpose is that <laughs> practice is more important than talent. Yes, but it's not. It, you're you're not going to just succeed with. You're not going to become the best just with practice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 then it, I think the question is, you know, what does talent mean? Of course, right. Um, what does it mean? I, <laughs> <laughs> so so in those papers, they they take someone. Who is doing a task without at all practicing, right? And mm -hmm. seeing how they perform on that task, mm -hmm. right? And that that is supposed to mean pure talent, right? Yeah. And then they give them five hours of practice, and then they see how they perform, right? So talent is some kind of innate thing that you have, mm. which perhaps you can just define in that context. Like maybe that. it's just you're wired that way, yeah. or your physique is um, just that way inclined. Maybe mm. you know. Uh, there, there was uh, some time ago I read a critique about uh, IQ tests, for example. Mm. And then there are actually, most IQ tests are very cultural dependent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they, then they are not qualifying correctly what it is the IQ of a person. If they are cultural dependent, then it's not good enough. How can we, in something that we always, before we have always considered kind of a raw thing, yeah, how, how we can compare them and any any other skill? How we are gonna know? Like in the the case that you put in, if someone has the already the, the uh, because of the culture or or upbringing, they have the basic idea of something. You are still not really. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I, I think IQ tests are a um, the you. In my view, you can't really have a genetic test that will just say, okay, this person has raw talent. Raw talent in what, right? You, you need to qualify that you have talent in some things, some things or others. So I, the way I see it is that IQ tests are simply testing certain mathematical skills or pattern recognition or, or, or that kind of thing. In fact, I had a bit of an argument with with uh, the future t teacher for my son. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was he was there. Uh, computer science. He's gonna do computer science for his A level. Okay. And uh, we went to pick subjects, and the, the guy said, "You must do maths." And I said, well, "Why? Why maths?" And he said, "Well, you know, computer science. Actually, learning to program is not important right now for him. If he wants to be a, a developer." Uh, what's important for him is is that he has maths, and I said no, that's not true. Um, and he said no, it's it's proven. I said well, I don't have maths, and I am a software developer, <laughs> and I think I'm okay. <laughs> and, 
I think he was a bit taken aback, but he said, well, this is, but actually what he said was, he said, listen, you know, we can talk about that and, you know, you might be right, but actually universities uh, are quite biased um, and they will, even if he has a computer science A level, he will have a less of a chance of going to a good university do, to do computer science than someone with maths. And I say like, that's completely stupid. But it's, I think this is, this is, it's, it's kind of those kind of traditions, you know, they think that some kind of base skill indicates the talent in another thing. I think the only way to indicate talent in a skill is to get them to do that thing and see if they are good at that thing without learning first, right? <laughs> but, but, but your story about IQ is, is I find, there, there's a great podcast on actually a mini series on, on IQ by, by, um, uh, a group called uh, Radio Lab, and it, it, it's true they start with maths, right? They're, they're one of the tests are, are around maths. What they found was that if you score one in, good in one, then you'll score good in others, mm-hmm. which at first glance seemed completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So somebody does good in maths, they saw there's a correlation with somebody who scores very good at vocab, for example, mm-hmm. right, or mm-hmm. literary skills. And and it, the reason they were biased was when when they started standardizing this and, and putting it all through the U.S was actually because their sample was white, uh, privileged uh, kind of teenagers or, or kids, right? And so they were applying. And so if you construct your results based on a sample which is biased, mm-hmm. then when, when you co- go to other ethnicities which are different of cult- different culture, then that's not going to work, right, what they right. found. Mm-hmm. But they have been trying to improve that quite a, quite a bit following that. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the state of California, mm-hmm. it's illegal to give an IQ test to an African-American. Oh, okay. Oh, do you know that? <laughs> because because it, because of that bias that existed, it's, right? Yeah, I see. Actually, makes sense. Interesting. Okay, right, um, Ruth, uh, when you are uh, mm-hmm. when you are learning, how do you keep yourself motivated? Haha. Um, <laughs> good question. It depends. Um, for you can example, be a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a meeting. Bye bye. Bye guys. Okay, it depends. It depends, of course. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, I mean I will go directly with examples because I was thinking on that. Uh, I think it has. It it is directly rela- related uh, the motivation uh, with what you are learning. Because in example, um, I do music. I play the bass, the guitar, and so on. Um, I learned English through music and board games. I was never, I never lived in outside Spain. I never, um, I work on a, on a vast um, based companies uh, with many, many cultures, but I, in terms of learning, I learn English through music because I play music. So my motivation always oh. came from music in the can, can you can, can you repeat I mean, uh, we lost you for a second yeah 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 from yeah. from which point uh, <laughs> when i was learning when i was learning yes okay so we have some technical difficulties uh we'll go back to truth whenever she's come back um motivation and it's something that you took uh, uh towards as well at the beginning uh, mass Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What motivates you? How how you keep yourself motivated to learn? It's a, it's um, 
It's a very good question. And so in terms of motivation, the way I think of, of motivation is you have kind of this intrinsic and extrinsic motivator and uh, the, the book Drive actually talks a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you base your learning on an extrinsic motivator, mm-hmm. at some point you're going to run out of steam. Yeah. Or at some point, or even you may even reach your goal or external goal. Maybe that's, you know, I don't know, getting that next promotion or hmm. so on, and you will stop. Or, you know, but if you use an intrinsic motivator for learning, then it's a different matter altogether. And my view is that learning is actually, it's, you should be learning for the sake of it. Okay. So, and that's the only way to, and the way you learn for the sake of learning is when you start think building habits around learning. So you, you know, it becomes part of your lifestyle. It's not, you don't learn because you want to get to something. You learn because that's what you do. Yeah. Right. It's like you go home and turn the TV on. Right. Well, why do you turn the TV on? Because you, it's it's built into your habit, and when you start doing it, you kind of relax. But actually, you can you can adopt learning practices that help you relax as well. Learning mm. does not have to be has to be energy sapping. It can be energy giving. So I personally think learning, if if you can make learning part of your lifestyle, then you will always have the motivation to learn. Okay, so. You were saying, uh, can you can you finish what you were saying before, Ruth, about... Uh... Yeah, sorry, it wasn't on the line of much saying uh, right now. Uh, if learning is about your culture and an habit, then mm. if you love to learn, you will learn everything, or at least you will be able to learn the basics or, or try to understand the context, at least. Uh, in example, uh, besides the other one, now I'm doing a Java uh, course. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I'm trying to understand Java. Why? Because previously I was trying to uh, create a website on PHP for my friends because we were playing online and so on. And I was just trying myself. Yeah, you can laugh. Okay, you can laugh. <laughs> PHP is but fine. I did. No but I did. <laughs> I did. I wake. I wake up a website on PHP mm-hmm. um, myself on my own. And trying to understand what's going on with this code and what's what's this, what's the server, what does it mean Apache? Apache is an animal, come on, and, and these kind of things. Apache is a but, tribe. Yeah. No, 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 it's uh, in Spanish. Uh, oh, I see. So in Spanish, it's oh, uh, Ticun? No, Ticun, no. Uh, Raccoon? Raccoon, yes. Raccoon, Raccoon. is Apache. Yeah. Apache, it's a Duolingo lessons. Oh, okay. <laughs> come on, Mash, come on. Apache. Sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry carry on. Uh, and that was my, my, my attitude of learning. I love to learn. And I had a family who, was, who were always learning because they have a, a couple of uh, business. And that's where, that's, that is the way I grew up. So my habits are always learning. Even now on, in the podcast, I'm learning uh, to speak better English, to know uh, George's accent, to talk about learnings. Yeah, I mean, uh, lack of connections, blah, 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 uh, always is a learning. So uh, it, this is my example. Now I'm trying to understand Java and I'm doing, and I'm doing fine. Um, but I think this, it has to be an habit and motivation has to come, have to come through uh, things you like. And if you like to learn, then you like to motivate yourself. 
one interesting thing you, you, you have just said about keep practicing and early on you mentioned uh, uh, learning to learn, which that means that how you learn is, is a skill and therefore it's a skill that you have to practice often, not often, because I mean, there are skills that you stop doing it, you forget about it. Other ones, like a bike, once you ride a bike, you always know how to ride a bike. It, what, what do you think happens with the learning, with the skill of knowing how to learn, uh, George? Tomash said that I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well deflected. <laughs> Um, I, I have to think about that. <laughs> I, I, can, I can try to, to answer. Go for it. Um, I, personally, I don't think you, you lose a skill. But mm -hmm. if you lose a skill, I, I actually talk about skill as a, an aspect of knowledge. And, and knowledge has a half-life. And skill is an aspect that has a very long half-life. So if you read something, it's also knowledge. You learn it, but then you forget it at some point because you didn't practice it. And skill actually allows you to practice, practice until it becomes innate. And then the half-life of that thing is, is much, uh, hmm. much more. And in fact, if the, you know, like learning to ride a bicycle, it comes through practice and, and the span is smaller because it's, I would argue that it's a simpler skill. Uh, learning is a much more complicated skill in my view because it has many aspects. Uh, it has, you know, there's aspects about practices, how you train your mind, all these things, right? So I personally don't think that once you, you practice enough learning or you become skilled at learning or different aspects of the learning skill mm -hmm. that you kind of, if you don't do it for a while, uh, that you will forget. Well, my first question is why wouldn't you do it for a while? <laughs> You know, maybe you were, I don't know, um, a, stranded on a desert island or something and maybe you didn't do it for a long time. <laughs> but I think once a skill becomes innate, you know, you when you pick it back up again, it's just a refresher. You, you kind of get up to speed again very, very quickly, even if you haven't done it for a while. So that's my view. Hmm. It's interesting because... I, you were saying that I was thinking, what does it actually mean to learn how to learn, right? Mm -hmm. How do you develop that skill? And, and perhaps it, it boils down to the two things that have been recurring in this conversation, which are how you build up your motivation and then how do you optimize the task or the methods, the yeah. practice itself, right. right? And when you were talking about motivation, um, this intrinsic and extrin extrinsic, it's very true. An intrinsic motivator is, is a far stronger motivator than, than extrinsic. Mm. But then I, I think, you know, how, what are the ways to build your intrinsic motivation, right? And I think for me, there are lessons to be learned, for example, from, from flow theory, mm -hmm. um, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, like in flow, you have, it, it, you're given something which is not too difficult so that you give up nor too easy right. so that you yeah. get bored, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they are, there exist low kind of uh, involvement flow, flow states. But, um, and so, so one question in order to build that interesting motivation kind of to learn how to learn is how do you put yourself how do, in flow? Yeah, how do you put yourself in flow, mm -hmm. right? Um, and perhaps you don't have to do it yourself. So for example, games do an excellent job of putting you into flow, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, Duolingo does an excellent job perhaps of, of putting into flow because it is like a, a game, right? Mm -hmm. And perhaps you could do that uh, yourself or with other tools, for example, to be placed in those flow states. Mm -hmm. And then learning how to learn, I think when, when you, if you do manage to put yourself in those flow states, for example, is 
how do you make sure that what you're doing, what you're using, are the optimum things for learning? So we talked about Duolingo. Maybe it's not the optimum way to learn a language, but a great way to put yourself into you know gaming flow states. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think there you can there you can use the the things that we mentioned about first trying, then getting the explanation. Mm -hmm. There is another interesting thing which is learning through contrast. So that is. I give you, I tell you something and then I present you with different options, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a multiple choice thing, right? Mm. And how you're learning in that scenario is you are seeing the differences between the options, mm -hmm. right? And you can have the same question with different options and then you're seeing different aspects, right? So you're, that, that's a pattern recognition method. Mm -hmm. and, and that has been shown to be very effective. Another one has been shown to be very good for uh, memory, which is test yourself before kind of... Um, which is a similar thing to uh, try it out before uh, you get the explanation. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's, there's, it's not, you know, people are not, you know, taking these ideas and pulling them out of their asses. Like they, they, they're doing research on them, right? Mm -hmm. And so every, oh, you know, we don't, you know, you just, just read the research papers and, you know, if it works for, for the average person, then, you know, it's highly likely that's going to work for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I want to, the last couple of days, I've been in a presentation skills course. Now, over there, there were two women that worked for a company called Literacy Planet. And this is a tool for, uh, for increasing literacy on, on kids, playing games mm -hmm. and things like that. And one of the most important statistics, uh, they had the kind of sales presentation and they doing the presentation course they, they improve it that uh, uh, that presentation and one of the things that I still remember from it it is uh, they, they mentioned the three uh, for a for a school 20 teachers are I don't remember the name, number of students at the moment uh, thanks to the use of literacy planet they save uh, the teachers were able to save a, a 3,171 hours during a term that they didn't need to actually let, uh, uh, take care of markings or anything like that because they were able to use this tool. Now, we are all uh, working on software companies, but how important... Uh, when I saw this and I said, oh, technology is making a difference in learning. I is it the case? Do you think it's the case that the applying technology... I mean, you are creating a, a tool for technology that is a, an application itself doesn't make a big difference. That doesn't make a, a or, 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 or it is one to one with a with, with a person uh, better. Or is mm. I don't know, how important mm. is the use of technology on learning? Mm. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to hope so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but so is, is it okay, better? I don't know. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, what technology definitely does is it scales stuff. Yeah. Right? So, you know, most people cannot afford a one-to-one -one tutor. Hmm. Right? And, and so what do you do then? You know, you, you either leave them, so you either leave them uneducated or, you know, you, you offer them something which hopefully has the same standard, but even if it's suboptimal, then at least they get something, right? Yeah. So if you think of the big kind of thing that happened with MOOCs, right? Mm. And they've been criticized about completion rates and all of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, loads and loads of people didn't have access to that content, right? They didn't have access to those courses. 
um, watching a, a great you know lecture from Stanford or MIT, whichever university in the world, wasn't accessible to, to, to the average person in India, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And now they are. Is it the same experience? Probably not. Is it good enough? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a great tool to, to scale stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I um, personally think scaling and also certain experiences that, um, uh, you know, that you can virtualize. I think kind of immersive, this whole immersive mm -hmm. aspect. I mean, I can, can you just imagine, um, you know, take, like, you know, put on your Oculus or whatever, and suddenly you are uh, in a, a bar in a, or in a restaurant in that situation where you're asking your French wa waiter for, mm. um, you know, yeah. to, you're ordering yeah. your meal, right? And, you know, the, the software is, is, is reacting to your speech. So when you're speaking, the, you know, the, they are kind of replying back to you and you immerse yourself and immersion is a great way of learning mm. and software can allow you to immerse yourself or make those experiences more uh, accessible. Yeah. yeah, you're very true. And, and, and it, you took the case where it's very difficult, you know, to create that virtual environment yeah, yeah. perhaps, right? Because you have to, to simulate the, the interactions. Mm -hmm. But imagine in the world in the world of, you know, software engineering, mm -hmm. where, okay, if you're coding in the world specifically of coding and not working in teams, mm -hmm. you know, how easy perhaps it is to simulate that environment, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and make yeah. it an artificial one, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then indeed, if imagine then in, in software engineering, if you imagine you know, these artificial agents, whether they be your team members or messages on Slack, and pre perhaps creating that entire simulation, how would that mm -hmm. work? I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. I mean, there, there are certainly some, um, some certain skills that are actually very difficult to teach, mm. especially what we call kind of soft skills, mm. right? So uh, handling a um, conflict, right? So someone is being rude at you, and you need to be able to handle that well in a calm way, right? Mm -hmm. Or they, and if you, you know, artificial intelligence or knowledge-based systems, you can have uh, an interaction with, in a safe environment, with something, and it's not embarrassing because mm -hmm. you can, uh, you know, you know no one's listening. <laughs> or maybe Facebook is listening, but no one else is listening. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, and then you can really practice because a lot of the times, you you have to, uh, especially tough situations where you just dropped into a really, all of a sudden into a mm. tough situation. I think if you if you're able to practice that, it'll be it'll be quite good, mm. you know. And these kind of conflicts, mm. it'll be it'll be great to kind of give your teenager some. Uh, you, you know, it's like, here is how you manage conflict, you know, okay, this boy is, is saying something nasty at you. The first thing is not to, to kind of punch. The first thing is to try to understand uh, how are you going to interact, you know, and that, that could be quite a nice thing. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything that you want to talk about that we haven't touched yet? No, plus. Anything mm -hmm. we haven't touched? Yeah. Probably many things. So, there, <laughs> there, is, there is one thing that I find extremely um, intriguing is this notion of creative active. Uh, and where learning, you're not just learning, but you're creating new knowledge. It's invention, which I think is the next step mm -hmm. from learning. 
is and mm-hmm. I personally find it very very um, intriguing is because when when you actually get to a particular point in a particular area of knowledge or skill and so on you and you may have multiple other disciplines that are kind of intersecting and that's a rich ground for to start create creating knowledge and my view is that especially in the software industry we don't do that enough mm-hmm. uh, we are we are really good consumers of other people's ideas but like new ideas especially in the domain of building software you know the a lot of the ideas we really using from 70s and so on and there's not a you know i see new frameworks and new things but not maybe i'm not in the right area but i'm not seeing groundbreaking ways of building software really what if you what if you think of you know te- you know all the things that are happening in in in, in like machine learning for example so the, so machine learning for example if you really look at it it's you, you know the, it's it not a, it's, a, it's not a new discipline it's a very old discipline and it's only just becoming um, and a lot of it is not even i mean we call it machine learning a lot of it is in uh, often uh, branding uh, uh, you know it's statistics or you know things like neural net i mean i did a module in 95 or 96 on artificial intelligence at a university and those were the ideas i'm not seeing a lot of new ideas i am seeing more computational power to be able to brute force and learn and you know kind of train algorithms in much more meaningful way and we have more data to consume but i'm not seeing like groundbreaking the only groundbreaking thing i have seen recently is quantum computing and that kind of to me is like yeah this is new but like <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i mean when when it when it gets actually you know we can actually maybe use it, maybe it will come yeah 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 <laughs> um i i i don't know so yes these ideas well neural networks and kind of these ideas were coming from the 90s if i'm not mistaken but they 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 didn't have like you know i mean i i've spoken to a few researchers in that domain who were doing research in the 90s in that field and they were like you know nobody <laughs> we were looked down upon as in you know our models don't work mm-hmm. and 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 now I, i was talking to a guy who was at um he he was at png um he was head of the um ai division and he was saying you know in the 90s when i was doing my 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 phd on this nobody was looking at me and now for some reason like everybody is in that field and according to him and he's treated like a superstar and and according to him it was because um there has been more data indeed mm-hmm. and and but he was saying those algorithms have been refined i'm not an expert in this field at all mm-hmm. but i'm just i'm just mm-hmm. sharing what he mentioned right and so i think what i'm what i'm going towards is it is it not the case that you have something in academia and then its impact on the real world maybe is maybe 2 3 decades mm-hmm. down the line it, isn't this how research always works well maybe i i think software industry i think there is as much or could be as much or even more innovation in in the actual real world or, mm. or not that academia isn't a real world but let's say <laughs> 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 yeah we 
we saw your reaction to the teachers. You know, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think there is, I mean, certainly, you know, innovation comes, can, well, definitely comes a lot from the academia, but the other way is oh, also, also right. correct. Um, like, I was actually more thinking, and I, I think, yeah, certainly there's been advances in AI. I think there is more usage of AI mm. rather than the advances. Um, there has been, you know, there are new things coming through like quantum computing. I don't know how old the actual theory is, but now it's becoming more possible. Um, my, actually what I was thinking of is, and this is something Michael Feathers actually talks about as well, is uh, the next generation of tools to write software. Mm. And I'm not seeing a lot of innovation in there because mm. if you think about it, some of the like the best languages out there are, you know, the, the ones the most used are C style languages or, you know, even JavaScript is C style language. Uh, and they come from a long way away, you know, things like Clojure and uh, are becoming popular again. Um, but at, even in the 90s, late 90s, there was this whole idea about the fourth generation of languages, right? 4GLs, we used to call uh, them. Yes. And they never came. What were 4GLs? So a 4GL is effectively a, a new abstraction on on the, the, the current level. So So... They would call a 4GL, for example, like one of the 4GLs was like, you know, Sage accounting system. It was okay. a domain specific language that you would build um, accounting um, kind of flows in, right? But you can take this idea. So um, APL, the um, Ericsson language for, yeah. um, uh, now that is a, a 4GL in a way yeah. where the 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 basic constructs of your or, uh, composable constructs of the problem are much higher than uh, logic or mm -hmm. if else and 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 you know maybe a bit more the constructs are higher level and specific to a particular domain and allow you to move mm -hmm. much faster within that within that domain so that you can build software so much more quickly um, rather than still working with mm -hmm the old constructs, the more lower level constructs, the high level constructs are, you know, not really emerging. I mean, I know cloud computing is one higher level construct in a way, but even that people seem to be reinventing the wheel over and over again to deploy their software. I mean, why is that not a solved problem? Why isn't there like a standard thing you say, I write and I deploy. And now people talk about like, you know, uh, you know, serverless and this and that. Yeah. And I think things are moving, but so slowly in such a kind of mm. almost a snail pace. Yeah. So that's what I mean, that we are not really innovating at that level. And this is what I mean by creative active, is that often we have this cult uh, kind of attitude where we have our own prophets to worship. You know, someone is talking about DDT and someone is talking about solid and clean code and this and everyone saying the TDD and this is the only way to do things, but actually not coming up with the, the new things, you know, mm. they're just following already trodden, well-trodden paths. That's just my rant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that, not that I do no, anything I mean, more. I mean, I, no, 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 I mean, 
what what I what I find beers for everyone. <laughs> no, I find it interesting because, like, my question is, what are what are you, what does it mean to be innovative, or what are you trying to optimize for, right? So so has. Is it easier to write software now and deploy it than it was twenty years ago? Yeah, massively. Like I can mm. spin up any server and and and. and it's easier and, to deploy. I'm not sure if it's still easier to write it. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, yeah, de deploying is, is 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 definitely easier. Okay, so your your rant was specifically about writing it. No, no, well, I, I think even in deployment, we we're still kind of doing, but it's better. But writing for sure. Writing is is yeah. definitely not better. F yeah, final thing. So if you're up to like if, if if so, what I'm interested in is how fast can I can I can I write this piece of code and then how fast can people see it? Yeah, right? it, it's basically how fast can someone describe to me the problem, and I have a solution, mm. right? So yes. and I know the problem definition is a very difficult part in software. So. Maybe we need to concentrate on that mm. because once you can define the problem, the solution, if you can completely define it, arguably the solution mm. is obvious. But I, that's what I mean, that there is, I think this is where we are kind of lacking mm. innovation. Maybe we end up connected with our machines and just coding with our machines, like, hey, computer, morning. Um, I want to, I mean, maybe we end up this way. Because the logical step in everything in architecture, I mean, in other um, in other uh, uh, employees, uh, everything related to progress, uh, it ends up always connected to to the um, the ways the human being thinks, how we process information, how we work, how we think, how we feel. Maybe when that we end up this way, like talking to our computers and. And just drop drop the thoughts and and code from there. No, it's interesting what you say. Final thing, sorry, <laughs> but I find, but it's interesting because no, no, because perhaps it hasn't changed because the platforms haven't changed that much. So you know, you code for computers or you mm. code for mobile device a bit differently. But what happens if if the platforms start shifting? So how do you code for? I don't know. You know, you, you have more and more smart objects. How does you know, how does the platform define your code? Or if you go into what, so, what, what Ruth was mentioning, you know, like basically your machine interface. Instead of coding with computer, um, yeah. for computers or for platforms, coding with them <laughs> as an individual. Are, are we talking maybe about moving away from the <laughs> human architecture? Mm. From, from? One from new human. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think I think we have gone. Uh, sorry, it was yeah. my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, super interesting. it's a topic for another another okay. podcast, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving away from von Neumann. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Step away. <laughs> In the topic of uh, of learning, Ruth, anything else that you wanted to cover or? No, um, I'm happy with uh, with what I've learned from you. Um, and what do you think, and how do you, how do you took your your learnings? Um, mm -hmm. But no, nothing else. Uh, it has been a, a learning itself. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, on that case, thank you everyone for being here today. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you to our listeners, and uh, bye, bye bye. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs>